Welcome to the Money Hour with Tina Mitchell. Tina Mitchell, MLO 145420, is a licensed loan originator with Gateway Mortgage Group, LLC. The views expressed by the speakers on the following program are those of the speakers and do not necessarily reflect the views of Gateway Mortgage Group, LLC, nor are they necessarily endorsed by Gateway Mortgage Group, LLC. Now, in the studio, local mortgage and finance expert, Tina Mitchell. Welcome to the Money Hour and 1150 AM KKNW, the Saturday, August 6th show and a Seafarer weekend. Hopefully you're out uh, watching the boat races as you're listening to my show today. I am your host and mortgage expert, Tina Mitchell. My goal is to keep you up to date on the latest news and trends in our local economy. Keep me tuned in and I will keep you informed. If you're hearing my show at a different time or day, you are listening to a rebroadcast, but I'm here to answer any questions or connect you with the guests that I'm going to have on the show today. Please call the show at one 855 411150. Again, that's one 1150 or you can go online to themoneyhour.com. And my only guest on the show today, because she is so special, back by popular demand, Denise Lonis with the Lonis Group. Five trends that will shape the real estate market in 2017 and 2008. Great information and an amazing guest in studio. For more information on any topic discussed, please feel free to call the show at one 855 Again, that's one 855 411 or online at the And of course, we'll start out the show today with a little money chat. Money. Money. Freddie Mac and affordable rental homes. Finance company Freddie Mac plans to provide tens of millions of dollars in financing or loan guarantees to smaller firms that buy single-family homes and operate them as what is considered affordable housing rentals. When the government-controlled mortgage financing giant Fannie Mae agreed this year to guarantee a $1 billion financing deal for one of the biggest financially equity-backed landlords in the United States, the move prompted an outcry. Housing advocates and legislators question why the landlord, Invitation Homes, which is controlled by Blackstone Group, needed such low-cost financing, especially on the eve and an initial public offering through which Innovation Homes raised $1.7 billion in net proceeds. Now Freddie Mac, a rival government-controlled mortgage finance company, is gearing up for its own financing deal. But it is targeting a much different slice of the single-family home real estate market. Freddie Mac wants to provide tens of millions of dollars in financing to mid-sized landlords, not to the giants like Invitation Homes, which operate nearly 50,000 rental homes in 13 markets. In all, Freddie Mac could provide as much as $1 billion in financing or loan guarantees to smaller firms that buy single-family homes and operate them as what is considered affordable housing rentals, a company officially said in an interview. Some nonprofit housing groups might also be eligible for the financing. It is first and foremost affordable, said the official Dave Leopold, uh, Freddie Mac Vice President for Targeted Affordable Sales and Investments. The size of the sponsor is less important than affordability, he said. Freddie Mac is hashing out the details, but Leopold said the company hoped to announce the first deal within 90 days. The Federal Housing Finance Agency, which regulates Freddie Mac and Fannie Mae, has approved the financing efforts on a trial basis. The agency view on the single-family rental market has changed since 2012 when it bulked at the Freddie Mac plan to provide financing to some 
buyers of foreclosed homes being of concern that low-cost loans would hurt banks and might also encourage home flipping. Still, any specific Freddie Mac transaction would need the agency's approval, just as Fannie Mae's deal with the Imitation Homestead. The approach being taken by Freddie Mac is part of a response to the criticism of Fannie Mae's deal to provide guaranteed to investors in a 10-year, $1 billion loan that Wells Fargo provided to Imitation Homes and will securitize. The loan is backed by about 7,000 rental homes. But the strategy also stems from growing consensus among housing policymakers and landlords that both Freddie Mac and Fannie Mae should play roles in providing finance to single-family home operators. The market has grown since the collapse of the housing prices a decade ago, touched off by the worst financial crisis since the Great Depression and led to more than 6 million completed foreclosures. There are now about 17 million homes being rented, up from the 11 million in 2007, and about 300,000 of those rental properties are operated by Invitation Homes and other big Wall Street-backed firms that sprouted up after the crisis like American Homes for Rent, Colony Stanford Homes, and Platinum Partners. The vast majority of rental and managed by mom-and-pop operators who own a small number of homes. And Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac have long provided financing to small investors. But financing has been hard to come by for nonprofit housing groups and minimized investor landlords who have had the re- to rely on mainly a private equity-backed firms for financing. After the financial crisis, most banks have tended to avoid lending to smaller landlords out of concern that such firms have little operating Histories that the house posted in the collateral are not sufficient to secure the loans. But the hope is that with the loan guarantees from the government-controlled mortgage finance companies, more traditional lenders may be willing to venture into that part of the market. Freddie seems to want to distinguish itself from Fannie. The push into single-family housing by Freddie Mac and Fannie Mae comes out of a time of debate over the future of the two companies, which the federal government bailed out in 2008 and placed in a government conservatorship at the height of the crisis. The main mission of both is to maintain the viability of the 30-year fixed-rate mortgage by insuring such loans against default and then packaging them into mortgage-backed securities. There is a huge hole in the middle market that Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac could fill. And that's my money chat for you. Coming up next on The Money Hour, five trends that will shape the real estate market in 2017 and 2018 by Denise Lonis with The Lonis Group. Right here at 1150 AM KKNW after this short break. You bought it, but do you know how it works? We're talking Social Security, the biggest mystery in your financial blueprint. Now move from mystery to mastery with the new book, Social Security, The Inside Story. Author Andy Landis has helped thousands of people just like you master Social Security. Hi, this is Andy Landis. You can learn more at my website. Go to www.andylandis.biz. That's andylandis.biz. You're listening to The Money Hour with your host, Tina Mitchell, on Alternative Talk AM 1150. Now, back to the show with local mortgage and finance expert, Tina Mitchell. 
Welcome back to the Money Hour with your host and mortgage expert, Tina Mitchell, right here on 1150 AM KKNW, the Saturday, August 5th show. I am committed to providing you knowledge needed to be successful in every area regarding your financing. Knowledge is power, and that's what the show is about and what you'll receive from listening. If you're hearing my show at a different day or time or day, you are listening to a rebroadcast, but I'm here to answer any questions that you have or connect you with the guests that I have in studio today. You can call the show at one 855 411150. Again, that's one 855 or online at themoneyhour.com. And my only guest in studio, because she's got the entire show brought back by popular demand, is Denise Lonis with the Lonis Group. And we're going to be talking about five trends that will shape the real estate market in 2017 and 2018. Denise, thank you so much for uh, coming back, not in studio because you're a busy gal and little ways away from uh, the studio here, but joining me over the phone. And I just really appreciate Appreciate your uh, time today. Absolutely. Thrilled to be back. And a little bit about Denise. Denise Lonis is founder and partner of the Lonis Group. Denise brings over two decades of experience in the real estate industry with expertise in strategic marketing, business analysts, building new home project planning, product development, and agent broker coaching and training. Denise is nationally recognized as the source for all things real estate. Denise's background is in residential real estate sales and management includes an impressive list of awards. Denise was recently nominated by Imnum News as one of the 100 most influential real estate leaders in the country. Denise is a strong and respected voice in the real estate community. And Denise, I'm really excited about the topic that we're going to talk about today because you're always a wealth of information of the most important things to look for when it comes to trends and what's happening. And we're going to talk about five trends that will shape the real estate market in this year, 2017, into next year, 2018. So Denise, earlier in the year, you came and you spoke with my listeners about the predictions for the real estate market in 2017. And to date, you have been uh, spot on with the all of the information that you've provided and your predictions of what's going to happen in the market. So what do you see as being the biggest issue that we're facing right now in real estate? Well, that's a great question. And probably 90% of um, the economists out there and uh, the experts out there are saying that the biggest issue is inventory challenges. However, while that's true, the biggest issue we have right now are the shifting lifestyles of the different generations. And what that's doing specifically is it's changing the type of product that people want to buy. Mm-hmm. It's changing where they want to buy it. It's changing exactly how big they want to buy it. So this generational shift, and we're going to talk a lot more about it when we speak specifically about the two generations that are dominating this, and that is the millennials and the baby boomers, and we're going to address that in a little bit. But that is the biggest issue. The issue is as these generations age and mature, what they want to buy and where they want to buy it is changing. And what that's doing is it's making some of the product that we have out there um, not as popular as before. It's uh-huh. making other product more popular, more in demand, and more expensive. It's also making certain areas obsolete and other areas are booming. So it, we're changing and it's not, we can't, we can't stick with the traditional rules of real estate around what we're building and the way we're living because all the rules have been changed by these two generations. So, Denise, I, I would imagine then that what's happening in new construction would be different. So what are the hot 
hottest trends right now in new construction and uh, what are they building uh, enough homes to keep up with the demand that we have? So are they in a position to be building enough to, um, to keep up? Well, good. first of all, great question. We don't have, we do not have, we still don't have enough inventory mm-hmm. nationally. We don't have enough inventory regionally. And in fact, our inventory challenges and why house prices have gone up so dramatically, people think it's just because everybody wants to buy real estate right now and we're out of that terrible, you know, horrible uh, time we had from 2006 right through to 2012. But that's not really what's going on. What's going on is that we're not building enough uh, we, we're not building enough product, and we're not yeah. building enough product because we lost all of our great builders. A lot of the builders that were in the marketplace before, they had to leave the market because they they didn't survive the you know the sharp downturn and, and the correction or the crash, whichever term you like to use. Mm-hmm. But what's happening now is builders are coming back, and what they used to build traditionally is not what they're building today. So traditionally, they were building the three or four bedroom home, two levels. The, the bigger square footage, the better people were like, how many square feet? Oh, the bigger, then it's worth more. Well, today, what is actually happening is that the smaller home, the smarter home, the more urban home or closer to urban locations that, mm-hmm. or shopping uh, is, and transportation is becoming the hottest thing. So location for builders of where, where they're going to build this product is crucial. We don't have enough inventory because we don't have enough new construction. Now, if we look traditionally, we always, a good rule of thumb is we need one and a half million units. Okay. That's what we need every year. We need one and a half million units nationally. We have not been building that over the last seven years. So we've already begun this year with a huge deficit. Now, we're picking up the numbers, but what's happening is some of the builders that are building certain types of product are finding that the product's not selling. Even in an inventory tight market, really? what's happening is their traditional what I would say, their award-winning product is no longer award-winning. Mm-hmm. Now people want something different, right? Yes. So that's the problem that we're facing right now. Wow. That's a huge problem. So smaller homes and smart homes and tech-smart homes and um, the, you know, the really techno-smart home with everything mm-hmm. that is, you know, you can use, it for, use all of the systems in your house mm-hmm. from and operate them from your app and your phone and, that kind of sure. technology is exciting and smart space and, you know, really well organized space, like really small space, but small space that's well utilized with really good systems. That's, that's what's really popular today. Got it. So Denise, who are the major buyers in the market and how is that changing the face of real estate? Well, we have two huge buyer groups. And traditionally, and I'm going to talk about both millennials Mm -hmm. and baby boomers. Let me just talk and explain a little bit. First of all, a baby boomer is somebody that is born between 1946 and 1964. Then our Gen Y and our millennials are born between 1980 and 1998. Now, for the last decade, over the last decade, baby boomers have always, always out-purchased and out-bought the millennials. The millennials, however, have now just recently overtaken that. So they are now the number one buyer in the marketplace. So you have this huge buyer base of millennials Mm -hmm. that's coming into the marketplace. They are out purchasing, outpacing the baby boomer, which was always our strongest buyer. And what they're buying is very interesting. So one of the things that we have to look at is 
okay, if you take the largest base of buyers right now, and that is the millennial buyer, what do millennial buyers want? Mm -hmm. Where do they want to live? So the millennial buyer wants a home that is, they don't want the biggest home on the block. They don't want, um, they don't necessarily want to be in an urban setting because they get it that they're going to lose some quality of life because it's too expensive and it's eating up all their income. Mm -hmm. So instead, what they're doing is they're choosing to buy in the suburbs and they're choosing to buy modest homes in the suburbs and older homes in the suburbs and homes in the suburb that they can fix up because, okay, we've got this do-it-yourself mentality out there. We've got the HDTV craze where everybody wants to (laughs) remodel and do something like that. So that's where it's really, really important that we realize that we have this changing demographic and we have this changing product. We also have to look at the fact that if we look at the trends of what this millennial buyer is doing and how much real estate they're buying, it is incredible. 34% of all recent homes purchased were purchased by a millennial buyer. Mm. That is incredible. Of those millennial buyers, almost 50% of them have kids under the age of 18, which means that they are in that time in their life where they're also going to see in the next 10 years or so changes. Because imagine Mm -hmm. now you have a child at home that's 17, 16, 18, 10 years, they're going to be out of college. And now we're going to see, again, a shift of the baby boomer, the older generation, who's going to want different product. We've got the millennials that are now buying up these homes in the suburbs. Mm -hmm. But then in 10 years, they're going to want to sell those homes in the suburbs. Yeah, that, you know, it's really, um, I, I just love talking with you, Denise, because your your view is always so far into the future. It's present right now and what's happening and the near future of how that's going to be affected. But ultimately, it's coming from what is in advance, you know, 10 years down the road. And it's, so it's just really interesting to uh, to listen, uh, really, the backstory of where this is coming from. Um, I need to take us to commercial in just a couple minutes, but I want to ask one more um, uh, question, Denise. How specifically will millennials play a role in the real estate market? Millennials are going to dominate the market. They're going to dominate, and they are actually going to dictate what builders are building. Mm -hmm. They are going to change local areas. They're going to be living in suburbs, and they're going to want those suburbs to be crime-free. They're going to want their schools to have and provide fantastic education. The millennials have a very, very strong role and their role with right now them being 34% of all real estate that's purchased right now is purchased by a millennial. That mm-hmm. means that they are dominating the market. Also, as home prices continue to rise, that's forcing those millennials to move up to the suburbs. And what it's doing is, it's in, in fact, it is creating a robust, a more robust suburban market, which we actually need because in the last few years, a lot of the baby boomers, the trend for them has been sell the home out in the suburbs and get urban and get chic and go downtown and live, breathe, work, you know, and get really, have a more, you know, exciting lifestyle as their kids now have left college and left home. So millennials are now going to take over and dominate the market. Yeah. Absolutely. Okay. So, uh, Denise, I'm going to take us to to commercial. Uh, Coming up next on The Money Hour, more from Denise Lonis with The Lonis Group. Five trends that will shape the real estate market in 2017 and 2018, right here on 1150 AM KKNW after this short break.
Hello, I'm John Katolik, one of Tina's guests on the Money Hour. I'm a farmer's insurance agent in Redmond, Washington, and I work hard to make sure that every one of my customers is properly insured. So what's the right liability coverage on your home or car? Well, to be honest, it changes. If you own a home in the Seattle area, you've seen your net worth increase by $300,000 to $500,000 over just the last five years. But have you increased your auto and home insurance coverage to match your increased net worth? Have you? If your current agent isn't talking to you about this, they're not doing their job. Please know that I will. I promise to every one of my customers to annually review with them that they have the right amount of coverage and does not have to cost you a lot of money. In fact, adding a million-dollar umbrella policy costs most families less than a dollar a day. That's a million bucks of coverage for less than a buck a day. To learn more, you can reach me, John Katolik, at 425-947-1429. Again, that's John Katolik at 425-947-1429. I'm a farmer's agent in downtown Redmond, Washington. You're listening to The Money Hour with your host, Tina Mitchell, on Alternative Talk AM 1150. Now, back to the show with local mortgage and finance expert, Tina Mitchell. Welcome back to The Money Hour with your host and mortgage expert, Tina Mitchell, right here on 1150 AM KKNW, the Saturday, August 5th show. I provide you news on everything money, fresh information on market trends and conditions in our local economy. If you're hearing my show at a different time or day, you are listening to a rebroadcast. To talk with the guests that I have in studio, you can call the show at one 855 400 1150 or online at the and in studio right now for the entire show i have denise lonis with the lonis group five trends that will shape the real estate market in 2017 and 2018 is my conversation with denise uh today and denise uh so we've been talking a lot about what's uh what's happening in the market and the trends of where we're heading for uh this year and into 2018 and I, i've heard you talk a lot about um desification before and can you explain that to my listeners absolutely densification is something that your listeners are going to hear a lot more about they have already been working on densification projects across the country in cities that have a rapidly rising uh, house price problem in cities that do not have any more buildable land Mm-hmm. in cities that um, need to house more people because they're popular areas and people are coming there to work. So densification really is the, uh, the whole, it's, it's an art and a science around making more livable space in a city and how do you do that? What does that look like? And I'm going to give you a couple of examples that are just fantastic ideas created to solve a lot of problems. So basically okay. densification, the simple way to look at it is, oh, I guess that just means the city is going to build smaller homes and smaller lots, and okay, that sounds fine, but in fact, it goes way beyond that. It's about building communities. It's about building dense communities that can house different generations. So it might be a community that has some housing, could be a community that has some condos, a community that's got some shopping, but another thing that it is is it's basically taking lots that are currently, that currently in the city have a house in them, and I'll give you a great example. It's happening up in Vancouver been happening in Vancouver, Canada for a number of years, and it's one of the smartest things that they've done up there for the purpose of solving the densification issue and the lack of inventory issue. So what they've done up in Vancouver is in certain areas of Vancouver, areas specifically that are very close to transportation lines to take people into the downtown core for working, what Mm -hmm. they've done is they have allowed people to build smaller homes, 
and these smaller homes are put in the back of the same lot that, let's say, a traditional home is in. And there's a million different names for it. And what they basically do is they allow a homeowner, if they're zoned in that area that allows this type of housing, they allow the homeowner to build a dwelling on the back end of the property. Up in Vancouver, they're called laneway homes. And they're called laneway homes because the areas that they're currently zoned in all have a lane. And what they're doing is they're actually improving and making these laneways beautiful by adding lights and by paving the laneways and having, um, you know, literally landscaping done down these laneways so they look like beautiful little English laneways. It's wow. absolutely gorgeous what they've done. So what they've done now is they've been able to go in and improve areas, mm-hmm. light laneways. So with light at nighttime, there's less crime in these certain areas, sure. but they've solved a couple of very important issues. Number one issue is let's imagine you have a homeowner living in their home and now they've gotten older and it's a three-level home. There's lots of three-level homes, not only in Vancouver, but Seattle, mm-hmm. San Francisco. I mean, look at all the areas across the country. Yeah. So the senior doesn't necessarily any need this three-level home anymore. So what they do, they allow them to build the smaller, what they call laneway home. And this laneway home sits in the back of the property. It is a complete home. It's anywhere from 650 up and up to about a thousand square feet and some on some lots as high as 1200 square feet. And they're these beautiful, cute, super well designed. In fact, they've got architects and designers in Vancouver right now. And they are space geniuses. So mm-hmm. they're building these homes that have got phenomenal space saving. And again, it's along with this trend of the smaller home. So like the tiny and homes. And now the homeowner, the homeowner now, exactly, the homeowner can now move into the smaller home. Mm-hmm. They can now rent their home out. And now they have an wow. income. So they allow the homeowner to rent out either the laneway home or the uh, original home. Now, what that's done in Vancouver specifically, first of all, the program in Vancouver, Canada, has been so popular that to build a laneway home right now, the city of Vancouver has approximately a two-year wait list just to pull a permit to build one of these. They're backed up. Everybody wants to build a laneway home. It solves a lot of problems. It solves a problem, let's say, for, let's say I'm a baby boomer and my kids want to come back home for six months because... They want to save money. Uh Well, they can go live in the laneway home and they don't have to bug me and they can be independent. Or let's imagine I've got guests coming over. Oh, fantastic. Stay in the guest house. So this idea of densification, what's going to, you're going to start to see happening, especially in areas like Seattle, is Seattle is going to be forced and Bellevue and other areas of density and all go all the way up the I-5 corridor and go, Mm -hmm. you know, head down into Oregon and they're doing it in, in areas like San Francisco and New York. They... The city planners now have to look at the reality that because our house prices have gone up so dramatically in Mm -hmm. the Seattle area, for example, what we've done damage to is affordable housing for seniors, affordable housing for students, affordable housing for young families. Mm -hmm. Now, because of that, Seattle will have to come up with a solution to this. And densification done well and done correctly and planned out well within a master planning densification plan is actually something that we're going to really see. Um, uh, you're going to hear about this a lot more in Seattle because it's been so successful in other cities that have tried it. So the trial cities like Vancouver, they have talked about the benefits. And I went to a forum recently on that, and they talked about how it has reduced crime in the areas because now 
the laneways are no longer dark and there's more lights in the laneways. It's now, it's now a second living community. Yeah. They have talked about how it's helped seniors to be able to not just be real estate rich, but now, you know, not just living on a, a small pension, they now have rental income. They now can live in a smaller home that is one level that can suit their needs instead of making it impossible for them to be able to live in their homes because of the stairs, because that's the type of home that was built in Vancouver, yeah. you know, 60, 100 years ago. So Seattle is facing the exact same issue. The challenge in Seattle is always the issues around planning departments and city council and what they're going to allow. So densification yes. is something that we're going to hear a lot more about. But if you look at the trial cities, the homes that they're building, these homes, what they do with 850 square feet is it's like looking at an architectural dream project the way that they've done it. And I really encourage your listeners, if you don't know anything about them, go into Google and type up Laneway, Laneway Homes, Homes, Vancouver, British Columbia. Okay. And you will be shocked at what they're doing. Wow. Fantastic. Brilliant, uh, brilliant plan. And, and hopefully, like you said, it does it does come to our market here. And I don't know what type of brilliant plan is going on with my next question. Um maybe not so brilliant, but I'd love for you to talk about your prediction uh, that traffic specifically in the Pacific Northwest could get much worse before it gets better. And can you yes. explain why? Okay, so... Where's the brilliant plan know, for what, this, Denise? <laughs> I have a plan. I have a, I have a thought. It doesn't mean anyone listens, but, well, you know, hopefully if we get it out there. So exactly. what, what we have to look at, what happens when people start planning and the planners sit down to look at the traffic problems in Seattle. And, and it lets, I'll use Seattle and Bellevue as a great example. Okay. My goodness, traffic is horrendous already. Mm-hmm. Now, we already have the, the um, Seattle port and the Tacoma port now has this wonderful seaport allowance, which is, alliance, rather, which is going to bring in more ships, bigger ships, more traffic, more people going to work there. You also have more millennials than ever before that have made the decision to buy real estate in the suburbs. Mm-hmm. Well, when you live in the suburbs, that means you have to commute into the city. The problem with that is that traffic, if we look at it, is actually scheduled to increase at a fairly uh, unhealthy pace, I would say, in the Pacific Northwest. So it's going to get worse before it's get better. We'll, mm-hmm. we'll get better. Now, on the flip side of that, how does traffic now specifically offer an opportunity to buyers and investors, let's say? So... What I'm telling all my investors right now and I'm telling buyers is when you're looking for real estate, and this is something I did last year, I took the Tacoma area and I took a map and I said, okay, I'm going to make some predictions about which areas in in Tacoma are going to have the highest price appreciation simply based on the light rail system and and the transit system. And you know that if there is any kind of improved transit or any way for a millennial to be able to commute to work where they don't have to drive a car, trust mm-hmm. me, they will utilize it. In fact, the millennial is more likely to use any kind of transportation system over the baby boomer, which is good news because they are moving out to the suburbs. They yeah. do need a way to get into work. So what I'm telling people also is that as the traffic gets worse, it actually, there's an opportunity there because it's an opportunity for um, making smart decisions about real estate. I always tell my investors, buy near any kind of transit line and you're going to be safe and good Mm -hmm. to go because your rental will always rent. Now, in terms of will traffic get better, I don't think that we have, I don't think there's a good traffic solution plan. I know that 
um, what I do hope is that as the millennials move into the suburbs, as they are, and as they see that this traffic nightmare to get to work is only getting worse, mm-hmm. I believe more of the millennials than ever before with the baby boomers are going to start using our transit systems. And believe it or not, that actually will help in the future. We still definitely in Pacific Northwest, we haven't gone it right yet when it comes to traffic. And that is a yeah. huge issue right now. Well, I know that the Sound Transit has, you know, huge plans, but we're looking at that into uh, 2030. So a lot of that good that's, that's going right. to do for us in the uh, the near future. So uh, before I take us to our next uh, commercial break, I want to get back to uh, the investors since we're kind of on that topic right now. And is foreign buyers still here in the market with, you know, for and foreign buyers come in for invest to buy investment properties or buying properties to, you know, hold on to and keep them vacant for their, their kids to come over to? What's going on in the foreign well, buyer foreign, market? Foreign investment, is, foreign investment is huge. The foreign U.S. home sale dollar volume was uh, up almost 50% and reached a record $153 billion. And that is right out of NAR's 2017 wow. profile of the international buyer activity. So where are these buyers? And just to talk about this briefly before the break, mm-hmm. the biggest, the, the, the largest type of um, buyer that we're seeing right now in terms of where's the buyer coming from. So we definitely have the buyer from China. Mm-hmm. We have the buyer from Canada. We have the buyer from India. We have the buyer from Mexico. And we have the buyer from the United Kingdom. So first and foremost, Chinese buyer is first in the Pacific Northwest. Mm-hmm. Canadian buyer is second in the U.S. and then the Indian buyer. Now, very interesting is what's happening in Canada. And if we, we might want to address that after break, but that the Canadian buyer is coming back with a vengeance. All right. So let me on that note, let's, let's start that with that. I'll take us to commercial. So coming up next in the Money Hour, more with Denise Lonis with the Lonis Group. Five trends that will shape the real estate market for 2017, 2018. You don't want to turn. Stay tuned for Denise right here at 1150 AM KKNW after the short break. Are you behind in filing your tax returns? Does the IRS claim you owe them money, but you can't pay? Are you getting nasty grams from the IRS? Are you losing sleep? Please know your tax problems can be solved. Work locally and actually meet the person that'll help you with your tax problems and not some faceless national firm. Call None Better Tax Resolution today at 1-844-SOS-1040 for a free confidential consultation. Again, call 844-SOS-1040 today and start fixing your tax problems so you can sleep peacefully. You're listening to The Money Hour with your host, Tina Mitchell, on Alternative Talk AM 1150. Now, back to the show with local mortgage and finance expert, Tina Mitchell. Welcome back to The Money Hour with your host and mortgage expert, Tina Mitchell, right here on 1150 AM KKNW, the Saturday, August 5th show, bringing in expert advice and inside knowledge on today's events in our local economy and how it can affect your money. If you're hearing my show at a different time or day, you are listening to a rebroadcast. You can call the show at one 855 400 1150. Again, that's one 855 411 or online at com. And back in studio, we have Denise Lonis with the Lonis Group, five trends that will shape the real estate market in 2017 and 2018. And we were kind of in the middle of talking about investor, um, foreign investor buyers, and we were getting into the Canadian buyer. 
Well, if you've been watching the dollar, the dollar is now over 80 cents in Canada, which is a big deal. Everybody's so excited from Canada. Mm -hmm. And uh, I have my Canadian family just to the north of me. And I'll tell you that everybody's all excited. And and definitely um, interest rates up in Canada are heading upward and the dollar value is going upward and things are definitely on the rise. Now, what's happening in Canada is if we think we have a high price growth in real estate issue, mm-hmm. there's, I'll tell you, the two cities in Canada, both Vancouver and Toronto, have seen such high price gains that what's happening is a lot of the Canadian buyers are actually looking at areas specifically on the East Coast, specifically on the West Coast, and they're saying, well, you know, we're selling our houses and we are getting so much for them, we've got some extra money, let's go buy that second home or let's buy that investment property or let's invest. So they're you know, they're finally getting excited about investment. Mm -hmm. There are many areas in the United States that are very strong areas for Canadian buyers. And the West Coast is particularly attractive to both the Chinese buyer and the Canadian buyer. Now, the Chinese buyer um, was responsible for $31.7 billion of real estate purchased um, last year. But let's look now at the Canadian buyer because the Canadian buyer almost got to $20 billion. So imagine $20 billion worth of real estate sold to that Canadian buyer. That uh-huh. is a huge number. That is uh-huh. up almost 49%. So while a lot of people think that the Canadian buyers are not buying because their dollar is down, uh, that's actually not correct because their house prices have gone up so high that they're selling at record numbers. And in fact, I was just at an event a couple of weeks ago, and I was speaking with a Canadian buyer, and she had sold her parents' home in Vancouver. They had passed away. She sold their parents' home in Vancouver. It was a very small 1,800-square-foot home. Mm-hmm. It was 102 years old. They had gotten $4.8 million for it. What? And she was talking to me because she said, Denise, I first of all, I thought my parents' home was worth probably a million dollars. We went to sell it. There's no inventory. She sold this house at such a ridiculous amount of money. And she's like, you know what? I've always wanted to buy a house in Palm Desert. Should I Mm -hmm. buy there? Hey, I was always thinking about buying a house on, and then she named a lake in uh, Washington State. What do you think of that? And Mm -hmm. I was very excited for her, and I gave her my opinion on both. But the reality is that the Canadian owner of property is getting ridiculous amounts of money, and they are looking to us because we have so many great areas here that they want to be a part of. Now, saying that, that's creating another problem. And the other problem with the Canadian buyer is the Canadian buyer, let's take, for example, the Vancouver buyer, or let's say the British Columbia buyer. The typical profile of the Canadian buyer, which, and I'm going to use the Chinese Canadian buyer, and I'm going to use the Chinese, or the, the um, Chinese buyer, and then I'm going to use the non-Chinese buyer, okay? okay? So if you have a, if you have the Chinese buyer in Vancouver and the non-Chinese buyer in Vancouver, Both of them want similar but yet different things. So, for example, the Chinese buyer wants to buy because they want to secure great education for their children. They are looking for either um, they're buying a lot of condos, and we've talked about this before on the show, they're holding the condos. Well, the problem with that is they're holding these condos, and their attorneys and lawyers are telling them, hold the condos, don't rent them out. Just hold them as an investment because the price appreciation will bring you in money every month then you don't have to worry about the legal ramifications of renting to someone and having that rental go wrong. Mm-hmm. Whereas the 
non-Chinese buyers coming into our area, and they are buying these condos, and they're living in them for six months less two days, right? So they basically have their limit of time that they could stay, or they're using them as vacation getaways for friends and family. And some of them are using them as VRBO rentals or Airbnb rentals. Mm -hmm. So we're seeing, and there are some challenges with that because the absentee owner, there's always challenges where you have a building where there is a large percentage of absentee owners. So the Canadian buyer is strong. That 2018 is going to just push that even further. I expect that the Canadian buyer into the U.S. in 2018 We'll top about $22 billion and we're currently at $19 billion. That's a Crazy. huge number, huge number. Yeah, wow. So, Denise, I'd like to go back to the generational shift and how that's yep. going to affect the real estate in, say, the next three years. Okay, so there's something that's happening in Washington State right now that's very, and it just really has to do with the, with the aging population. And I want to address this because this is going to explain how the shift will happen. So. Okay. I've talked a lot about baby boomers. I've talked about millennials, but I need to talk now about the silent generation. The silent generation is a generation before the baby boomer. The silent generation are those people born between 1925 and 1945, and then our baby boomers pick up 1946 to 1964, okay? Mm -hmm. Now, the challenge that we're going to have is not only do we have a demand for real estate just based sheerly on population, we have a demand on real estate because of people moving here from other states because they love our state. We mm-hmm. have the water issue in California that's driving more people here. We have jobs that dri- that is driving more people here. We there's so many reasons why people want to live in the Pacific Northwest, but the big the the biggest issue that we're going to face in the next 5 to 10 years is that if we do the math on the age of our of our, you know, our generation that is the silent generation from 1925 to 1945. If you just do the math on that, you know that some of the oldest are in their 90s and some of the youngest are in their late 70s. What mm-hmm. that means is that there is going to be a huge passing of wealth. So what happens is our silent generation is the generation that has the paid off homes. They're the generation that doesn't have debt. They're the generation that's been saving their money. Uh, so what they're doing is when they, pa- when they pass away, their wealth is now passed on to their baby boomer children. The baby boomer children are now between the ages. The youngest baby boomer today is 53 into their 70s. What are they doing with that large amount of money that comes from their very financially secure yes. silent generation parents? What they're doing is, on average, they're saying that in, in the state of Washington, the passing when there's a passing of wealth, that there could be as many as five transactions for every passing of wealth, and here's what that looks like. So imagine that for a moment that there's an estate that is being settled, and that estate has three children. So there's three children, and one of those children gets their inheritance and says, okay, well, this is, this is a lot of money. What I'm mm-hmm. going to do is I'm going to, they might sell their home and buy another home, their dream home. Now that's two pieces of real estate sold and purchased. The other child might say, I'm good, I love my home, but I want to buy an investment property. Uh They buy an investment property, that's three. Then the other child says, well, I think what I want to do is I think I want to buy myself a recreational property, and I think I'm going to actually sell this property, and I'm going to go and be an urbanite down in Seattle. Well, that's actually six transactions. So based on the silent generation and the typical number of children, the average number of children they had, 
because they have more children than we yeah, do. Yes. What's happening is we have a baby boomer generation that is all of a sudden ending up with a lot of cash. The other yeah. thing they're doing is they're saying, okay, I'm set for life, but my millennial child, we believe in real estate. Wow, look at all the money I just got from mom and dad's mm. estate because mom and dad were smart and own real estate. We trust real estate. And what they're doing is they are gifting, they are giving, they yeah. are lending, they are helping their millennial children buy. So the millennial might then sell the smaller property they have and they might buy another pro- property. So in addition to all these other reasons why we have these inventory issues in the uh, in the Pacific Northwest, we're also about to face it's it, the issue of people buying and yes. selling these multiple properties because of the wealth that they're bringing in. And it's not to say that people don't invest in the stock market and love it, but that generation, the baby boomer generation, who mm-hmm. is the generation that is controlling that money. This, this wealth, mm-hmm. they want real estate. They yeah. trust real estate. Wow, and that, it's so interesting because you've you know hear a, a, a lot of different dynamics that we hear a lot of in the continued growth of our market. Um, but that's you know that's a new one and makes uh, makes total sense. So I I probably can answer this question uh, for my myself, Denise, especially listening to all of the um, forecast and information that you're providing. But overall. What do you see with let's let's say start with prices? What do you see with prices happening here in our our market in the Northwest? Prices they have to go up. There's, yep. there's just I cannot see <laughs> there's <prices>. nothing. <laughs> I can't. I don't get it because yeah. unless somebody comes in and we have the fairy godmother of real estate who decides to you know create uh, five thousand new listings immediately in the Seattle area or uh-huh. in the Bellevue area. We don't have enough inventory. We're yeah. not building it quickly enough. Mm-hmm. We have too much demand. All those things are still very, very, very popular. And then so we that's, go it's, into it's going to happen. Yeah, and, and then we go into when the rates do go up because at some point they are. They have to. Then the people that own those homes that are sitting at a low three percent interest rate are not going to want to sell. Instead, they're going to want to do a construction loan, a rehab loan, add on to their house and stay because they're not going to want to take that six, seven, eight percent wherever the rates go. So where do you think um, is going to happen with interest rates? Well, interest rates, I have no doubt that interest rates are going up. I think we're spoiled by our low interest rates. But the yeah. point that you just brought up, I want to add to that. You know, we have such a problem right now with getting right now to go out and find a good trade person or uh, in the building industry specifically. Uh It's so difficult. So what's happening is you do have a lot of of sellers that are going, why would I sell at that 3% money? I'll stay here. Hey, I'm just going to renovate. So the renovation industry is crazy busy. So we have that issue that is happening. So if interest rates continue to creep up, you will have, there's another little bit of that roadblock because you now have that inventory that is no no longer going to be brought into the market. And when that happens, actually, the blessing in disguise there is that's when cities and city planners have to sit down and go, okay, we don't have affordable housing for seniors. We don't have, you know, unless you are wealthy, you can't live in this area. Mm -hmm. We have to do something. And that's where we get into that more creative housing, which is necessary. It's critical. 
Yeah, and I had a, a builder panel uh, come in for my real estate professionals uh, a few months ago talking about, you know, all the things, the demands that are coming down with the builders as well. And I mean, there's a lot more of the cost and requirements and, you know, around affordable housing. And do you see that being a challenge? I know right now it's hindering some of these builders in doing, you know, doing what they want to do. Do you feel that being a big issue for us? Well, here, here's the challenge. The challenge is that, these, first of all, there's a number of issues for builders because mm-hmm. builders have, uh, you know, especially in the state of Washington right now, there are new laws, there's new, there's, there's new, there's new issues, for yes. example. And these issues are definitely making the cost of finished goods higher. Mm-hmm. The overall price per square foot cost to build right now are rising at a rate higher than they ever have before. And um, we, and then also the other issue is that now builders are being forced to hire to offer higher wages to yeah. to tradespeople to get them just to compete the for demand so exactly. They, they yeah, there's not enough labor. The labor shortage is so strong. So anyone out there listening, if you really need a career out there. Get into the construction I was just going to say, have your kids go to, yeah, do that instead of uh, oh, not necessary to get into the tech industry. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. The other thing, other issue that you have right now is that we have, we have to look nationally at what's happening nationally. And, you know, there's all these concerns out there about, um, you know, these tradesmen and these laborers. And, you know, we also have to look at, okay, if we look at immigration and the new thing that's just been on the news recently about, um, you know, the Trump administration uh, reducing the number of immigrants that come in. Mm -hmm. Well, when you have new immigrants, new immigrants that come to this country, oftentimes do have skills that they're bringing from another country. And if we limit that, we're also going to limit that, you know, part of that workforce. Mm -hmm. All of that comes into play. And from what I'm looking at, uh, for builders right now, building new homes is going to be expensive. So then what happens is the builder is forced to sit down and say, okay, where am I going to cut? Well, I just spent so much money on these laborers to get, because you got to have the electrician, you got to have the plumber, you've got to have your drywall guy, but maybe you don't need built-in beautiful closets. So what's happening is a lot of these new homes now, you come in and they're, they're built, they can get their occupancy permit, but anything that that can be avoided, that you don't have to pay for, that you don't need to get the occupancy certificate. So I'm going into some new homes right now. I'm walking into the master bedroom closet, and it's just an empty room. There aren't even wire shelves in there because they yes. know darn well. The builder knows why bother to put these up. Yep. They're going to come in, and they're going to call you know, a closet company and get something custom made. Yeah. So builders are having to make tough decisions about what's got to go. So I tell people today when you're out looking at new construction, you better look very carefully, and you got to ask yourself what's missing from this home. Yeah, because builders have been forced to make really drastic cuts. Yeah, uh, Denise, I want to go back to uh, densification and the conversation around community housing. Are you seeing that coming in in our, you know, where they're they're building a, a property where different couples know each other or not, and they all come in and buy, and they have a community kitchen and community living space. Well, they're doing that right now up in Vancouver, Canada. And in Mm -hmm. fact, Vancouver, Canada is, I would say, a leader in smart densification. And they've done many different things. They've done the laneway homes. They've also done this more community living where they, they have developments where a group of people have gotten together and 
they've done something. It's like chapter ownership. It's like one book with 40 chapters, and everybody owns one fortieth of this community. And uh-huh. in this community, they have uh, different amenities. They are sharing some of the the amenities or services within um, within that community, but it's making again, it's making more affordable living. Because, for example, um, what they're doing in some areas is people have their own fridges, they have their own little mini kitchens, but then they have two or three larger, you know, meeting space rooms. So let's say you bring your 90% of the time, let's say you and your spouse needs an average size kitchen. But maybe at Thanksgiving or Christmas or someone's birthday, you want to have a bigger space. Well, uh-huh. then you go to the community kitchens and everybody with their 140 to share uh-huh. can now, um, you know, kind of own that that kitchen and rent it out, so to speak, without paying anything certain times of the year. But the other thing that's more popular right now in Vancouver, Canada, is these really urban amenity communities. Let me explain what this is. So I want you to imagine that you and I have just bought a unit in this community. Well, now you and I need to go to work. And I want to imagine now that you'd imagine that you have a dog. Well, I'm going to imagine I have a dog because I've got many, but so I have a dog that I need taken care of, and you've got a child that you need taken care of. Uh-huh. Well, right in this community, there is an area where there are, let's say, uh, a senior that needs affordable living that could um, offer some daycare, but she's only prepared to do that one day a week for four hours. Mm-hmm. So what they're doing is they're, they're doing these work and live and work, live and share communities sharing talents, sharing skills, Sounds beautiful. Sharing, space, sharing time. And so now when I go, when I leave my home, I don't have to drive my dog to the dog, you know, sitter. Uh-huh. I just get in my elevator, go downstairs and drop my dog off right where I live. I come home, my dog is right where I live. So it's these really smart communities. Mm. Same thing where they'll have, they'll have their coffee shops and their restaurants and it's it's these just all inclusive i call it the club met of living where everything is right there and there are a couple of incredible developments up in the vancouver area if any of your listeners ever um feel like checking that out um i think that they should they should do that there's just so much that vancouver has that they've been forced to have because vancouver has the same problem that seattle bellevue all area pacific northwest urban air dense areas, Vancouver's had the same problem. They've been dealing with it for 20 years longer than we have. So they've been dealing with that. And I really often say I would love to see our planners in the north go up and see the planners in Canada yeah. and talk to them to see what they've done and how they've done it successfully. Well, I, you know, I think that it's a great way to, to end the show. And I, you know, visu- the visualization of that, I mean, it just seems like a beautiful um, uh, space to have communities like that. And, you know, you you make adjustments where you need to. And obviously there's going to be a lot of adjustments that need to be made uh, for housing availability. So it'll be interesting to see what's coming. But takeaway from the show is real estate's going to continue to appreciate. Interest rates are going to go up. So, you know, get in and take advantage of the market now while you can get cheap price and cheap costs. I shouldn't say cheap price because homes are expensive, but they're going to be inexpensive when you look into the future. And definitely the cost of, to borrow right now is very inexpensive. Uh, Denise, thank you again so much for spending uh, the entire hour with uh, my listeners and just sharing uh, the wealth of information that you always uh, have available. I really appreciate you. Absolutely. And just a final thought, you know, when we talk about lending, you can get money right now so affordable that you have to take advantage of it because 
prices have nowhere to go up, yeah. nowhere to go other than up. Yes. Absolutely. Great, great advice. And, and uh, with you right there, uh, Denise. Well, I look forward to talking with you again soon. And thank you again. Awesome. Okay. We'll talk soon. Okay. Thanks so much. This is your host and mortgage expert, Tina Mitchell, signing off for the day. Enjoy the rest of your Saturday. Enjoy Seafair Weekend. Put your sunscreen on. Make sure you don't get burnt out there. I'll be here next Saturday, same time, same place, right here at 1150 AM, KKNW. Tina Mitchell, MLO 145420, is a licensed loan originator with Gateway Mortgage Group, LLC. The views expressed by the speakers on the preceding program are those of the speakers and do not necessarily reflect the views of Gateway Mortgage Group, LLC, nor are they necessarily endorsed by Gateway Mortgage Group, LLC.